you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. It is our last COVID chat of the year in which we answer your COVID-19 questions, so you better bring it. Dr. Shruti Gohill is here. She's a professor of medicine and associate medical director for epidemiology and infection prevention at UC Irvine's School of Medicine. Dr. Gohill, thank you so much for making the time during this really busy week, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As usual, if you have medical questions related to COVID-19, the Omicron variant, whether or not your holiday plans sound safe to the doctor, give us a call, 866-893-5722. We have a line open just for you, 866-893-5722. You can also tweet us. We've got our Facebook page, and we also have AT comments at kpcc.org. But as always, I would encourage you, give us a call, because that way, if you ask a question, and you're not sure about the answer you got, I'll let you get a follow-up, too. Very important. You'll get exactly what you need. Well, just to start off, Dr. Gohill, with so many stories about waves of people showing up at hospitals across the country, I want to ask, how are things where you are? Yeah, it's it's definitely getting um, a little bit more intense with uh, COVID um, infections in our communities, for sure. The hospitalization rate uh, is is creeping up slightly, uh, not not as high as we saw in previous times of surge, but we are definitely waiting for the peri-holidays, post-holidays uh, increase for sure. Well, that's good to hear that it hasn't reached uh, too high of a level yet. Uh, let's dive into the biggest story so far of this morning. We'll, we'll keep watching it, but the biggest one so far today is that the FDA has now authorized Merck's Molnupiravir one day after a competing drug from Pfizer uh, what do we know about Merck's medication? Yeah, you know, um, definitely does not seem to be as uh, efficacious as the uh, in the, as the Pfizer pill. Um, the data that was released um, seems uh, like it, the efficacy is something like thirty to fifty percent. Um, and like with all antivirals, you have to use it within the first few days of having contracted the illness. So that's another uh, you know general um, recommendation for you know why you need to get vaccinated even if, you, even if there were a pill. The other point to make with this particular drug is the side effect profile 
profile seems a little bit more uh, concerning, um, which is what was driving that FDA recommendation, um, in particular uh, potential birth defects and, and issues with um, bone and cartilage uh, in, in younger folks. So that, all that data is really still pending um, in terms of the larger size uh, studies that we need to really understand what the risk is with the pill, but um, that hints the guarded recommendation that you know if the risks and benefits um, really align for a patient to use this drug, then then go for it, especially if you're unvaccinated, especially if you're in areas where other treatments are not available. That makes sense. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about because Pfizer, we're looking at a 90% reduction in hospitalization and death. Merck, like you said, 30%. Each course of the drug for Merck, about $700 compared to $530 for Pfizer. I got to ask, where does it fit into our toolbox and is there much of a role <laughs> yeah. for Merck's pill here? Yeah, it's it's really hard to, to, to say that um, that would be my go-to drug or anything mm-hmm. like that, right? So again, prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, you, you don't wait for a pill. It's true that things like Tamiflu or Ocetamivir, which is what we use for flu every season, right? If you get the flu and you weren't vaccinated, or even if you were vaccinated, it's a severe case. It would give you, give you that drug. We don't use it in, uh, as our go-to, um, strategy. We use vaccination as our go-to strategy. Mm-hmm. So we do, we do want to keep our eye on the ball there. I mean, file this one under humans will still be humans, but I noticed an almost an odd, I want to say classism when the vaccines came out. Uh, but I, I guess it's just a way of socially ranking each other because I don't know if you were part of these conversations, but, you know, people would ask, oh, which vaccine did you have? And for a while, you know, <laughs> yeah. people had started the circulation on, on Twitter that, you know, Pfizer, it's the it's the Cadillac <laughs> of, of vaccines. Then it's, oh, you got the Johnson and Johnson. Uh, (laughs) And I guess I'm wondering, as a doctor, do people ever come to you and you say, oh, we're going to treat you with this? And they say, well, I've heard about this other one. Any chance you got any of that in the back, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you're asking that question because I think it's really important and it talks about the state of our, um, you know, of the way that we um, do research and, and, and um, develop treatments. It really is at, at the level of our, our pharmacies in, in historic times was um, allocated to government as well. Lots of government-based research and a lot of that's dried up and gone to our, our companies. And, um, and so then you inevitably get into the situation where you have to cross compare these drugs and, and we do it all the time in medicine uh, in terms of you know which drug to treat patients with um, but here is an example I will say that uh, you know equity is an issue um, people who are more in the know and people who are able to secure the you know the the best um, sort of agent uh, will will um, will be able to do that um, in a way that uh, in other times I'm not sure that was fully uh, possible. I mean, I do think that we've seen over this pandemic uh, a sort of uh, medical diplomacy where, you know, we have given Johnson & Johnson vaccines way to developing nations. Um, I guess I would imagine, though, if you were at a hospital, you know, if you you had a a positive uh, diagnosis, you know, of COVID-19 and all they had in stock was Merck, you wouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? You'd still take it (laughs) without a doubt. That's right. Risk benefit. It's all about risk benefit every time. And absolutely, you know, if I was in a situation rural somewhere, I didn't have other treatments available to me and I was not of childbearing age or some such, I'd go for it. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's check in now on Omicron because researchers in Britain reported yesterday that it appears to be less severe than the once dominant Delta. I guess that's considered good news. And this also tracks with some data that we saw from South Africa. What do we know so far, doctor? Uh, it sure is <laughs> really, really infectious. It's so humbling. Uh, when we saw the initial curves out of South Africa several weeks ago, it was it was clear to all epidemiologists that this one was going to be way more infectious than um, than the other strains we've ever seen. Um, and that's often the case. Viruses will trade mutations. Its goal in life is to infect as many people as possible. Eventually, um, you know, will become hardy enough to infect more and more and more uh, people. So that's the whole uh, game that it is played. Um, and so it's not surprising that it comes on the scene. It is true. I mean, this thing can replicate. Uh, it's been shown some of the um, in vitro uh, studies, non-human studies, uh, showing that 70 times higher replication rates for this uh, virus. And not only that, it tends to like the upper airway, the um, you know, the bronchus, what we say, the upper part of our windpipe and the back of our, um, our, our throats. And so that also um, makes it more infectious. You know, it stands out to me as we talk about this is just how important context is. Uh, one of our hosts for the show On Point, Meghna Chakrabarty, she tweeted about this. And I thought it was so interesting because she shared two headlines side by side, both from the same uh paper, I believe it's Washington Post, one says U.S. cases surpass summer peak of Delta variant. And then the other one says South Africa's huge Omicron wave appears to be subsiding just as quickly as it grew. And so we're in the situation where we're saying, well, will it derail everything? Is it going to subside quickly? Will it do both or neither? This is what she's tweeting. And so I guess when we think about this wave, it's important to think about it differently than we thought about the previous waves. Or should we still treat it like it's just as dangerous as the previous waves. Oh, gosh, you know, so um, here's the hard part. Yes, each virus, each strain is going to pose different and unique problems. Um, we saw this play out. Um, should we approach it with the same type of caution until we know more? Yeah, absolutely, we should. Uh, you know, we, we can't take anything for granted until the data is uh, kind of behind us and retrospectively we can look. But, you know, South Africa's experience, for example, you know, they have a younger population, less um, uh, less comorbid uh, conditions uh, compared to the U.S. because people don't live as long. Life expectancy is not as long. And so um, you, you have a healthier population getting sick. So you can't take um, you have to take it with a grain of salt that is milder. On the other hand, we have three different um, studies out right now, UK, Scotland, um, showing that this um, the, the hospitalization rate is something like two-thirds lower for um, for Omicron, uh, but they are have heavily vaccinated places. So what we don't know here in the U.S. is how it's going to play out. Our population is different. We have high more, higher comorbid conditions. We have um, access to health care is a real problem. Um, and then we have issues with... Uh, you know, um, immunocompromised hosts where we're able to provide such advanced therapies for people with cancer and other things that put um, the population at risk in a different way. And so um, the, all of that combined to, to say, well, you know, it may not be a huge acute surge that, um, you know, overwhelming of ventilators and, and hospitalizations, but boy, are we going to expect to see a, you know, potential slow burn, maybe a lag, because the overall, if you increase the overall number of people, absolute count of those who get infected, then you will um, see some effects, maybe it's not an acute hospitalization, but downstream impacts of, of having a viral illness um, that could land people in the hospital two, three weeks down the line, um, 
dealing with other things, cardiac or other things. Um, so we don't know how that all is going to play out. So we should still exercise caution. And also we should protect our young ones who can't get vaccinated less than five years. And we should protect those immunocompromised and older people until we know more. So important. Dr. Shruti Gohill is here. She's a professor of medicine and associate medical director for epidemiology and infection prevention at UC Irvine School of Medicine. And we have a line open for you, 866-893-5722. A lot of questions are flooding in online, but I'll tell you, might be a little bit faster if you call us. We'd love to hear from you, 866-893-5722. LA County's caseload doctor. Uh, yesterday, it's double what it was on Tuesday, 6,509. And Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says, we could be looking at case numbers that we've never seen before. Uh, I wonder if we can talk timeline a little bit. Uh, you know, Given what we've seen elsewhere, South Africa, when might we see the crest of the wave in Southern California. Could that affect things? I'll widen this out, you know, just for time's sake, but could it affect maybe reopenings? Uh, you know, could schools maybe try to do distance learning until that crest goes away? Uh, yeah. Um, so one thing I want to make sure I clarify my point from earlier was that um, it was that hospitalizations and severity of illness were not seeing as much of a, a cre- you know, it's creeping up. But absolutely agree with Dr. Ferrer, who was saying basically we expect a huge, you know, total absolute, ca- yeah, absolutely expecting that. And we are seeing that in Orange County as well. And so, yeah, should we expect, um, you know, well, I think that we have arrived to a place where um, the crest we would expect post post holidays that there will be a crest, um, you know, I, the expectation on our end would be around the, uh, you know, Jan February area, um, you know, end of January, maybe third week of January or so, we're going to start to, you know, to hopefully um, see a crest. And um, in terms of impact on our schools and distance learning and you know, there might be some wisdom just to dampen things down, depending on how fast this thing goes up and how long it stays up. I don't know that we're going to get into that place if um, if we have good protection systems in in place at this time. It doesn't seem clear to me that other nations have had to go in that direction per se. They've been able to stay, you know, somewhat open. Um, but we all, you know, time will tell. Hopefully, we're seventy percent vaccinated ish in um in california maybe that affords some protection against having to do that again well you mentioned older uh people as well based on the data that we have uh is there a greater risk of hospitalization or death with omicron for older americans um and maybe what should they be thinking about this holiday season yeah, that is the million-dollar question that we're all <laughs> waiting ding, ding, to ding. see. Yes, absolutely. We, you know, we think that um, it's going to be lower even for the older and immunocompromised. We think that, um, but but we think that it'll be overall lower percentage of high-risk illness requiring hospitalization in those groups. And we do. It seems like the early data in UK and Scotland, for example, it seems to indicate that there is cross-protective. Um, effect of the of the vaccines. So I think there's a reason to think that they're going to be more um, protected. I, I just we just haven't we haven't tested that really yet. Before we go to break, I just want to ask you because anecdotally scrolling through Twitter, I've never before known so many people either with COVID or, or friends of friends with COVID. Uh, does it feel that way for you? It just feels different yep. this time around, yeah. right? It sure does. I'll agree with that statement. Yeah. 
Uh, we're we're seeing a lot more. Um, you know, your uh, what is it? The Kevin Bacon number of people <laughs> that, yes. that know Kevin. Bacon. Yeah. So yeah, the number of people who seem to know a COVID person, a positive person. Yeah, yeah. That I have to agree with that. Well, Dr. John in Fullerton asks, my daughter works in San Diego and was going to visit for Christmas, but one of her close co-workers just tested positive on Monday. Now, uh, John's daughter tested negative on a PCR test on Tuesday, but he wants to know how long should we wait before seeing each other? Oh, yeah. So if I heard you correctly, the exposure was on Monday and the testing mm-hmm. occurred on Tuesday. Correct. Generally, you really need to wait the incubation period or at least some type of replication period for, so that you can trust the result that you're getting and that really you're not infected. Generally speaking, we say you should test between three to five days. I like the five-day mark, um, you know, and not see each other until <laughs> until you know um, uh, that the person is negative. Now, if you're all vaccinated and the, and the uh, and you know, and and you're completely asymptomatic, and there's no risk or worry about immunocompromise. Um, you can modify around that, uh, you know, with masking um, and being extremely careful uh, with each other and and washing your hands and that kind of thing until you get the you know, test result around between day three to day five. And then people do recommend that you retest um, if still asymptomatic at day seven. So um, so it's too early to test right the next day. This also is tempered by how risky the exposure was. So if, if both people were masked, if you're a close coworker, fine, but you were masked for the most time, mm. you didn't eat together, you didn't have like a huge, you know, um, a likelihood of being exposed, then that factors in, um, you know, a, a to what your action should be. Mary in Pasadena asks, how can we stay safe at the Pasadena Rose Parade this New Year's? Very important question for people locally here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gee. Well, first of all, thank goodness that's outdoors. Um, Mm. So that's one thing. You know, it's the same message as, as before. We, you know... Try to try stay away from other people. If you are really crowded settings, um, you know, sometimes people get really excited or eating at the same time, even though it's outdoors and you're you know very close to somebody. And Omicron is, I'm telling you, 70 percent um, higher infectivity. Then yeah, you, know, you could do the math and kind of stay away from people when you're eating um, and try to keep your distance, even when you're not, um, and uh, go out there. If you're going to make the choice to go out there, um, just take those precautions. You'll, you'll do everybody a world of good. And when we talk about precautions, one of the experts. I spoke to earlier this week, um, she said that the cloth masks, they just don't cut it anymore. It, it amounts to a little more than a facial adornment, I think was the quote. Uh, is now the time for people to consider beefing up their masks if they have not done so already? Yeah, it's true that the CDC did release um, or uh, yeah, they released uh, additional uh, information about, you know, wanting to... Um, you have a preference towards three ply if you're going to do any anything other than a, a cloth mask or um, or yes procedure type of mask medical grade mask and then uh, and then N95 so y- yeah um, definitely I still think that the key here is to keep your keep all the areas around your nose and mouth you know closed and um, I don't know that the data has really been there to show that you, you absolutely have to have these high grade. Um, mass, but sure, if you have a better barrier, it's a it's a better assurance. Now we have two other questions. We have a Brian in Pasadena and a Jonathan in Fullerton. But I wonder if they both maybe fit under the umbrella of if you want to play it safe, 
you know, maybe not. So Brian's question, I'll read both of them to you and maybe you can tell me because Brian in Pasadena says, I went to get a PCR test because I was completely sick last night and I'm supposed to pick up my mother today. I did two tests recently and both were negative. Should I still pick up my mother and have her stay with me or should I put her up Ugh. in a hotel? And now Jonathan in Fullerton is saying, I was exposed to someone who tested positive yesterday and I saw them on Tuesday. Uh, also, should I cancel my holiday plans? And both of these are situations where I think that people want to know if they can just live their lives normally or if they should be extra cautious right now. I lean toward yeah. caution, but what would you say, doctor? Yeah, you know, listen, it's it's all about the, the there's so many vectors and it really is about who it is that you're going to be exposing. How many of them are you going to be exposing that would be at risk? And and yeah, so let's take it one by one. The, one of the callers talked about this um, uh, being sick, symptomatic, mm-hmm. actually, and getting tested twice by a PCR and found to be negative. Um, you know, we really have to this is one where if you're in this situation, you should talk to your doctor because there is a nuance with the test, depending on what kind of test they used and whether or not um, whether or not they were able to fully capture it and the timing of that. And also your actual symptoms. What if you're sick with something else? Right. So um, so it, it, that needs to be considered. Uh, having two negative uh, really does seem uh, um, encouraging that this is something other than COVID, um, but you should get assessed at that point. The other person um, talking about you know exposures uh, and then and then needing to test. You know, it's all, it is true that the testing and there are some tests out there that are not going to pick up Omicron as well. And, but, but, but the good news is that many of them can, um, for example, by next now. And so when should you test from the date of exposure? You should test within three to five days um, of, of the date of exposure. And if you remain asymptomatic, you know, you you should consider yourself pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, And again, you want to look at how how closely you worked with that person. How likely is it that you actually caught it? Because it is true that the mass the masks do work. You know, where we're seeing the transmission of Omicron is when when it's within a household and within, um, you know, congregated settings where people are not using their masks. That's where we're seeing. It's not like these, um, it, it's not like the uh, spread is really unexplainable. So you shouldn't, uh, you, there should be some tempering of our um of our fears and our concerns. And um, listen, you know, you have an elderly person that you're going to see or immunocompromised person that you see. Would I delay that in the setting of an exposure? Yeah, I probably would, you know, depending on um, on how, how risky I thought that my exposure was, even if I tested negative, uh, you know, for it on, on day three or day five. I, I would worry about that person. On the other hand, um, you know, if I tested negative and it, the person was, um, the exposure was really a loose one, you know, I was in the same room for, you know, 10 minutes or something like that, but everybody was masked and, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out about that. I'd get tested and it was negative and then I would feel okay, um, you know, assuming this person is not deeply immunocompromised, a bone marrow transplant or something. Dr. Gohill, we only have about a minute left with you. So before we let you go, people are probably heading out to their final destinations today, uh, definitely by tomorrow. If there's just one thing you want them to take with them so that they can make sure they're being as safe as possible, what is that one thing you would say to them? Wear your mask, get, get vaccinated and boosted if you're not already. 
That's Dr. Shruti Gohill. She's a professor of medicine and associate medical director for epidemiology and infection prevention at UC Irvine's School of Medicine. Dr. Gohill, thank you so much for all the wonderful help that you've provided over this year. And we really look forward to talking with you again in the new year. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.